Hey everybody, welcome to episode 74 of Making It. I'm Bob Claggett, here with Jimmy DeResta. Hello everybody, thanks for having me. And David Picciuto. Hey, what's going on? Not much. I have a question. Do I evenly start with each one of you, or does it seem heavy, like I'm starting with Jimmy sometimes, I'm starting with David sometimes? <laughs> it's mostly Jimmy. Mostly Jimmy. Okay, I'll, I'll make a note <laughs> to continue to... No, I'm just kidding. Yes, to get to to, first next to, week. That's right. I always think I have like one second more to like dilly-dally, and then all of a sudden you mention my name, and then I'm like, oh, here we go. Yeah, that's why I do it. That's why I don't tell you. I'm keeping you on your toes. Yeah. I'm sorry. I was, Somebody just got an email. Yeah, I was taking the dog leash off when you announced my name. Cool. Well, what have you guys been up to? What's going on? So right now, I am working on a coffee mug. This is made out of uh, one solid piece of walnut that came from my childhood home, and um, and it's got a uh, it's it's got a uh, maple base, and so it's going to have a, like a traditional coffee mug uh, shape to it, and the inside was um, bored out on the lathe. And then it's got a handle that's it's all one piece. And so um, it's a real quick, easy project. So far, it's, it's working out. But my question is, I need some advice. I want to coat the inside. And uh, what I want to do is use some smooth-on white resin and then coat mm. the inside. Is I just I just have some casting resin left over from a previous project. Do you think that would work? I don't think not much sticks to that. You're talking about that 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 smooth cast 300. Is it the white stuff? It's the white stuff. Not yeah. yeah, not much stuff sticks to that. I mean, aside from crazy glue. So I think you're gonna have a hard time trying to seal that to make it food grade. That's just my two cents. I mean, mm. I might maybe go and try and find a plastic mug that you could then insert in there. That's a white plastic mug that you could then put on the lathe and modify the shape of it. Mm. You know, so you can customize mm. it to fit in there. So this way, you know, you got a food grade insert. Yeah, uh, you know, the, the whole food grade thing is we're going through this right now with the with the the cutting board book book that I'm working on, and there's the uh, you know the argument like, oh, you know, it's got to be food grade finish. Well, any finish once fully cured is food grade. Well, which is almost every finish. So, and sometimes it takes a whole, you know, four to five weeks for uh, a, reg- a regular polyurethane to to off gas. You don't think the 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 smooth on resin is, is safe once fully I, cured? I mean, that's my gut feeling is no, because it does get a little oily sometimes if you mix it wrong. Um, so, I mean, I, okay. I you can go to there. They have a great YouTube page. You can go there and ask them. I'm sure they'd answer you right away. All right. Yeah, smooth on is actually really communicative. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they would probably be and, happy to answer. And that. in the light of the maker movement, I'm sure they have food grade stuff. So you know the way some hmm. silicon companies have uh, silicon grade food uh, for making food molds. I'm mm-hmm. sure they probably have some casting positives that you could utilize as well. Hmm. Bill Duran from Punish Props would also be a good person to ask about that because he has tons of experience with molding and casting. Well, I'm sending Bill a message as soon as we're done then. Nice. So I'm curious about the the cup there. How are you going to sculpt the outside of it? You know, it has the handle sticking out of it. You can't do it on the lathe. What's the process there? Basically, it's it's oblong because the handle is part of the the whole piece. So it's not a perfect circle. I'm trying to describe this for the listeners. And so the inside was was bored out on the lathe, and um, you know it was un, like this uneven. So it made my my lathe wobble, which is kind of scary. But I kept it at a, at a low 
whatever you rotation uh, speed. RPM. RPM. Yeah. And then, um, so it was this bigger chunk. And then I cut the outside out on the bandsaw. And if you can see that on, on camera. And mm -hmm. so now it's just sanding. And then for the handle, I'm going to drill holes in here. And, uh, and then use like a Dremel to kind of do some final sculpting and, and shaping. Gotcha. I know you probably don't want any seam lines, but if you just bandsawed that off, cut out your finger hole and then glued it right back on with a nice tight clamp, you're going to end up with like a bandsaw box result. You're going to see the seams though. That's the difference. Mm, maybe. Hmm. Maybe because you've got, it's got like a little ramp to the side of it. It's not like uh, the same thickness all the way down. Hmm. So you know, where you cut a section out, you're going to have a little bit. I mean, you could sand mm -hmm. that back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Good ideas, guys. <laughs> Just a thought. Looking forward to seeing that. I spent, I don't know if anybody watched me on Snapchat. My, my Snapchat didn't load very well, so it loaded out of sequence. So Zach came over from Inventables and he hung out and he upgraded my machine and taught me a little bit about the software. And we uh, just hung out together, just coming up with ideas. And he showed me the platform that they have, which is uh, the shareable programs that you could share people's files. And mm -hmm. so that kind of gave me the idea this week for Make Magazine video. I'm going to basically take the 30 by 30 inch plate that you can cut on with the big meter size CNC that, that we all have. And I'm going to make a project. So I'm working on that today and tonight. I'm going to try and finish that up for a video for Make Magazine, which will be out by this come, come success or failure that's going to be out. Um, I'm a little nervous to use the X-Craft because like if I unplug a wire... Or because even Zach, he was setting it up and he, we were doing diagnosis tests and all of a sudden things going the wrong way. Like one motor is going like, you know, so the bar is shifting in opposite directions. I wouldn't really seem to know exactly what to do to, to fix some of that stuff. So if I yank a wire out, I'm like super nervous. So I'm like being, every time I go near the thing, I'm like, I don't want to pull a wire because I wouldn't know how to fix it. But uh, that's uh, going to be a fun project, at least to figure out. I have it all designed. All the stool parts, it's like a stool that you would sit on. All the stool parts will be in one layout. So if you copy my file, you'll be able to make one full stool with exactly the way. I mean, you could modify it a little bit, but, and I also wanted to incorporate some other tools. So I'm showing you how to use the table saw with it or not how to, but in conjunction with what I need to do to prepare to cut a piece of wood on the CNC machine. Hmm. Just to show, here's kind of some of the stuff Zach and I talked about is how a lot of people, uh, get the machine and then they not they don't really fully understand that they oh now i have to cut a sheet of plywood what does that mean oh i need a circular saw oh i didn't realize i needed a circular saw i thought i just needed a cnc machine so stuff right. like that and uh so i'm going to incorporate a couple of these little small disciplines into it see how it works out and then besides that i'm working on a video for the kindergarten classroom i'm making a the teacher station which is going to have all locking drawers and cabinets so it's a simple build but it should be informative i'm working on that right now as well so I'm going to have that maybe out, maybe hopefully by the weekend. We'll see. And then I just put up my, my 600 collection of uh, 600 subs, and I got a lot of good response on that. I didn't know what was going to happen with that video, but... Oh, I haven't seen getting, that yet. Getting a lot of good comments. Yeah. So, uh, I just went around my house and showed all the stuff I found in the garbage or got for next to free or nothing. On the streets of New York. On the streets of New York. I didn't realize how many times I said that until everyone started commenting. This should be the name of the video. <laughs> the streets of New York. <laughs> The streets of New York. I, I watched the edit. I'm like, oh, I didn't realize I said it so much. But obviously, once I edited it, I listened to myself say it 600 times. But it's funny. It's funny. Yeah. It was cool. It was neat. It was neat to see that. I got about halfway through it. 
And uh, Fell asleep. my wife walked. <laughs> no, my wife walked in. And she was like, "Oh, is this Jimmy's uh, house?" And I said, "Yeah." She was like, "Start it over." Oh, I'm cool. Like, this mo- the video is like twenty minutes long. <laughs> Twenty-eight minutes. <laughs> She's like, "I don't, I don't care. Start it over." Okay. Yeah, it's an intimate look inside my house. You know, it's funny. Some people are like your house is so cool, and other people are like that place looks like it needs work, <laughs> and it does. I mean, it needs a paint job. It's old. It's funny when you guys, you guys both own homes and when you look around and you see, you're like, oh my God, why would anybody want plastic siding or aluminum siding? When you own a 150, 200, 300 year old house that needs paint, you realize why people want aluminum siding because every two years Mm -hmm. I got to spend $5,000 to have the house repainted and scraped and painted. The paint peels right down to the original wood. So I'm having like flakes. So my house has dandruff right now. It's like major dandruff. And I said to Taylor in the, in the fall, uh, in the springtime, I said, start getting quotes on painting the house. But, you know, those mm. quotes go anywhere from $3,000 up to $10,000 to scrape and paint an old wooden house. And, you know, and then once you start scraping, you find, oh, you know, you need to have all these clapboards redone. There's a big rod hole in it or whatever, you know, but that's just the, the cost of owning an old house. An old wooden house is like owning an old wooden boat. It's just constantly being repaired. Yeah. And my house is so old, it, it's, it's, it's droops everywhere, you know, like, it looks good. Like I said, I, I call my house, it's like a really nice pair of jeans with like holes in the knees. It's like really comfortable and fun, but you know, you're not going to have a, you know, so you're not going to have the Queen of England there and impress her. Mm-hmm. Now, how big is that house? It's about 4,600 square feet. Wow. It's 11 bedrooms. Jeez. And <laughs> two living rooms, <laughs> big dining room. All the rooms are kind of small, though. I mean, they're not, they're not as huge as, uh, you know, you might assume. But, I mean, you saw into some of them. And I vaulted the ceiling in two of them. One of them I didn't finish yet, only because we just got sidetracked. That's the other thing, too, is I am not I don't live there full time. So, people are like, I thought you were a handyman. A couple of the comments were, but I'm like, I'm like, I am. But I can only work two, three days at a time. And then when I'm up there, I might be wanting to do a video. So, my whole entire weekend is devoted to making a video that has nothing to do with the house. And then Taylor and I, we put a list of goals up every spring. And we try and get at least some of those goals done. And uh, we got a couple of them done so far. But, you know, the major one, like finishing that upstairs bedroom with the vaulted ceiling. You know, that I also would want Dave to, to help me too. So when Dave comes back, we might do that. I got to plank a whole entire ceiling. You know, I need a I need a scaffold and everything. It's a lot of work. Yeah. So. It was a cool house. It was neat to see the inside of it. Thank you. Yeah, it's 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 gone through major renovations, you know, before I even got there. The main house is 230 years old, and then the outside, the couple of the attachments are like hundreds of years old, a hundred year old. So it's seen a lot of history, and it's funny. Once in a while, I'll be mowing the lawn or picking up garbage on the outside, and someone will stop and say, "Do you know who owns that house? I used to live there, or I used to my cousins <laughs> own it, or I have pictures of that house." And some of the neighbors have given me old pictures of the house, which is pretty cool. Oh yeah. So it's got so much history. It's the actually. The very first house in like for hundreds of acres around. So it was the only house in that whole entire thing. It was the very first house. Was the original farmland around that house connected to that house way bigger than it is now? Yep, hundreds and hundreds of acres. It was, wow. it was all parceled off of the, my original plot. Hmm. Like at the awesome. turn of the century. Oh. Yeah, everybody should go watch that video. It's got some really cool stuff. And in. it's funny, I bought the neighboring property. <clears throat> And this is just funny, just American history. So the neighboring property is for 20, 20 something acres. 
And then the deed, which was last done in like 1950-something, like that's the like how far back the deed goes. And then if you've ever bought a piece of property, it has like an original like photocopy from some records hall next to it, the next version, next to the newest one, all the way up to the modern one. And the oldest one says, you know, going 2,000 feet to the rock near a stick, <laughs> go westerly for 4,000 feet till you see a wooden post with a nail on the top of it. I mean, this is literally how it's written. <laughs> wow. So if I ever had to get my land surveyed, I'm sure the rock and the stick are gone. <laughs> it's either going to work to my advantage or against me. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's very risky to get your house assessed. All of a sudden you realize that you bought your neighbor a brand new fence. You're not allowed to touch it. <laughs> the edge is listed as like that one creek where Johnny fell in that one time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, for me, I this week I'm going to be putting up a video from when I was in New Orleans. I did a, a Q&A video and oh, cool. walked around town and showed some stuff from the Maker Faire that I was there. And I've just kind of been sitting on that video because I've been trying to work on a very long-term project of mine, secret one, in the background. So I've spent the last two days on that, and man, it's a very frustrating process to go through. Hmm. It's it's irritating. Like it's one of those that I'm really excited about actually having it done, but a lot of technical problems that I'm just trying to wade through. So I was hoping I could make some real progress this week and like get closer to it, but I really don't think I'm any closer to it. So remember my solution, three battery packs. <laughs> actually, the reason I don't want to tell everybody is because I don't want people asking me when it's going to be done. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> but like you know, my printing press. Now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm working on that too, by the way, I'm, I'm gearing up to do that. So it's Teaser, another teaser. Are you? Do you have parts you have to get for that, or fabricate for that? Or oh uh, yeah, I, I made two wooden parts that are part of like the uh, the feed and collection when you're printing stuff. So they they were non-existent; they were rotted away. So that's real simple. And then there's a there's a mechanical part that I tried to buy on eBay a couple times, and I ended up buying one for a different machine, which didn't work, which I thought it would work. So I have to fabricate it, which it isn't a complicated fab, but I just have to do it. So this summer I'll use the machine and videotape it. Promise. Nice. Um, I, I was going to talk real quickly and say a public thank you uh, to Tortuga Custom Shop. Did you guys see this thing? What is that? This guy what is that? He makes custom guitar pedals. Oh my God. And he took one of his custom pedals and made a custom version of it for me. And it's got my logo on it. Oh, and it says Maker so cool. across the top and has orange knobs. And I, I get, it came in this afternoon, so I haven't even gotten to play it yet. But it's awesome. That is so it's cool. It's so cool. And he just likes my videos and wanted to say thank you, I guess, and made this and sent it to me. It's it's like the coolest thing anybody's ever made for me. Nice. That's awesome. So, th- thank you to him. Um, yeah. Uh, this week, I think we're just going to do some questions. Yeah. yeah. We we were just tweeting out a few minutes ago. I have a couple. Uh, yeah, we, a couple. So, Before we get to the questions, let's start off with this. Yes. Jimmy had a question. So, Jimmy, you're dealing with, with some sort of medical issue over there, right? Yeah. What, what's going yeah. on? It's Now, don't be too graphic. Yeah. People were complaining about the eye stories last week. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I have I have like a, I have a thing on my finger. You can see it in some of the videos. It's kind of gross. I have a wart on the back of my finger, which I've burned off like seven times, and it just keeps coming back. And just before we started, I noticed like I burned it off a couple of days ago with ice, whatever, that Freon liquid nitrogen. And I noticed it was kind of ready to be pulled off. So I, I kind of pinched it and I tried to pull it off and I'm just, I, I, I pulled it off. 
And, <laughs> and I made a crazy wincing face. And these guys are all like, what are you doing? What happened? Because I didn't tell anybody what I was doing. And uh, I made a big hole in the back of my finger. And I don't think I got all of it, but it hurts. It hurts like an MF. And uh, that was it. So <laughs> I just don't know. And it's going to come back in a month. It's come back seven times now. I've been dealing with this thing for four years. I just keep burning it off and it keeps coming back. So what I think I might do is like heat up like a 10 penny nail to like red hot and just stick it right onto the back of my finger. What do you think? Don't oh, do man. That. <laughs> Rambo style. <laughs> <laughs> So right before we hit record, I tweeted out, hey, Jimmy has a question. How does he remove the swart? I'll pick my favorite one, and we'll talk about it on the show. And so far, my favorite one is from Patrick Curtis. He said, step one, cut a raw potato in half, rub it on the wart, then bury the potato during a full moon. Step two, (laughs) go to the dermatologist. I've been, you know, I, I do uh, frontier medicine. Yeah, everybody knows that. I, uh, I've been to the, de- the dentist with the doctor for this thing a few times in the past, and it just keeps coming back. He just burns it off, but well, it charges me $200 to do what I could do alone. Well, the problem is that you're going to a dentist for a war. I meant to That's say, I meant to say dermatologist. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear myself. I mean, the guy's obviously taking advantage of you. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah, sure, I can fix your finger. Open your mouth. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. So um, we ha- so we we've gotten some questions in. I think you guys got some questions you've yeah I certainly- seen come in that you want to throw. Yeah, out? I got sure. some. Um, go ahead. I can go in order as as they are, and then then we can just kind of go around Robin okay. uh, from Seth Hunter. He says the significance of mundane tasks like mowing the lawn. Uh, that's a pretty interesting thing to just to throw out like that because it is true. I really enjoy mowing my lawn because it gives me time to think and I actually come up with a lot of projects while I'm mowing the lawn. And uh, you guys may have seen the video where I mow my lawn. So I have a lot to do. I have a lot of time to think. It usually takes me just about two hours to do the whole thing because I have a couple sections and then I got to mow the hill in front of my house, which is a real pain in the butt because I got to walk up and down this hill a hundred times. And uh, <clears throat> But it definitely uh, gives me time. And I have my little routines, like when Dave Welder sees me sweeping up around the shop, he's like, uh-oh, something's on your mind, because it kind of alleviates hmm. the stress when I start sweeping. He's like, uh-oh, he's got something something hanging over his head. It's really true, because like, if I don't know where to begin, I just start sweeping, because I feel like that's at least getting something done. So these mundane tasks are therapeutic in a way. You guys have any uh, yeah. thoughts on that? Well, I think I, I do the same thing, I'm, except that my yard is so small that I it's just big enough for me to get sweaty and then I have to stop. So <laughs> it's not even like I can't even get through a full thought process yet. Well, I can listen just... to a full episode of uh, of Mock Marin and some NPR stuff on my lawn, <laughs> usually. But I, I will say that like if I don't have times like that, like what you're talking about, just, uh, you know, running or whatever to have that, the thinking time, um, if I don't have those times, then I find that my brain does that same work when I'm trying to go to sleep at night. Yeah. And so I'll end up laying down and not be able to go to sleep for an hour yeah. because my brain is just churning. And if I can force myself to have those, you know, those thinking times during the day, then I end up sleeping better. Yeah. I found that. Mm. That's good. I, I had a, I literally had to wake up at 6am the other day to leave New York city before traffic starts. If you live in a major city like this and you want to get out of town before traffic starts, you have to literally get up before the city wakes up and leave. And so I did that because I had to go way out to Long Island to pick up some equipment. And I did some running around all day long. I literally left my my block here at about 6.15 a.m. And I got back here at about 7.30 p.m. I had all that time running around doing errands on Long Island, Brooklyn. 
and upstate. I had to kind of run up to drop off the ice picks up in uh, about 40 miles north of New York. And all day long, I was just in the car with the yellow pad, just jotting down thoughts and ideas and stuff. So, you know, try and make the, the most of, of, a, of a mundane task like that. It's funny, when I used to drive to work every day, uh, that dry was my, my thinking time, and that's where I got a lot of ideas, and I don't have that, I don't drive around too much now, and so a lot of my ideas now come when I'm trying to go to sleep, and maybe I need to uh, take Bob's approach and try to use chores and stuff to you know mentally think and, and decompress. You know, the uh, my lawn takes... About 20 minutes, which is a good, nice, short podcast. So I, I don't do my thinking during mowing the lawn. I'm, I'm, I'm listening and just trying to take my mind off of the, the horrible task of mowing my lawn. <laughs> you guys got to yeah, get I mean, a ride go, on mower. It helps. My yard's too small. <laughs> that would, yeah, it would take me literally like 15 seconds to mow my yard. <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of go back and forth. You were talking about the podcast. I, I go back and forth um, where I... I go for a run and I'd really love to listen to podcasts and a lot of times I do, but I actually kind of need that time without input, like without music or an audiobook yeah. or a podcast or whatever, so that I'm not distracted. Cause if I'm listening to something, I'm not thinking about any of this stuff. So I have to pick and choose, you know, like how much time I spend, like even driving to work when I used to drive to work, um, I would have to turn the music off, which I would typically always have music on just so I could like decompress from the day's worth of work and think through, you know, get all that stuff off my mind before I get home. Yep. So yeah, I kind of go back and forth about that. You know, but. Yep. Um, Either of you guys see. have one? Some, yeah, I got one. This, this is a, I don't know. A mojo. I don't know how to say this mojo. We'll say mojo. How would you define the word maker? This might be a Rorschach test. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think my answer for that would be, it doesn't matter how I define it. It matters how you define it mm-hmm. um, individually. But I think as a general, you know, what the general consensus of it uh, in my mind is just anybody who makes anything through any method, you know, themselves. Um, and I think the cool thing about that is that it lets a lot of people with different skill sets and different coming from different places with different end goals to have a commonality. You know, it gives them a chance to all of us to 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 be in the same room saying we're the same thing, even though we do it differently. And uh, in our world, man, we are, everything is so divisive and everything is so, you know, has labels and has all this baggage with those labels. It's kind of nice to have a word that a bunch of people who are very different can use to say that we have something in common, you know, and we share this thing. Um, and so, you know, I know that there's a lot of like old school or even new school woodworker type people who think it's a stupid term and think it's overused and that's perfectly fine. But I see a lot of value in having something that I can say I have in common with a person I've never met. Um, you know, it kind of gives us an even playing field and gives us something in common. But that's the way I look at it. You guys have any thoughts? Yeah, to be a maker, I think you you have to have a YouTube channel or a Twitter account or a blog, <laughs> right? All of all those. Of those. You mean all yeah, of those. all those things? Yeah. No, you you touched on it pretty good. I I don't. There's something about the the word maker that bugs me a little bit, and I kind of think of it as like 
like the word alternative when it comes to music. It's like it just encompasses too many things. Like、mm. I don't like alternative music because there's a lot of alternative music that is just pure crap. And some people will put Nickelback in that in that group, and I'm like,、ah, I don't want to be associated with Nickelback.、Um, and um, <laughs> uh, boy, I, maybe I'm, I'm I'm probably insulting people here, but、um, I like I like the little individualized things. I like、uh, uh, I, I like I like woodworker, or、uh, I like tinkerer, or electrician, or a seamstress, or or, or whatever leather worker. I, I like those little niche. Terms. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, those certainly have a place because it's it's like a better adjective, right?、Mm-hmm. So if if you do woodworking, woodworker is a better adjective to describe what you do. So you you don't have to like go into full explanation to the people around you. But I think most of us do a lot of different types of stuff. So like I personally have never told anybody that I'm aware of that I'm a woodworker. I've never said that because that's a very small part of what I do, you know, and I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to say I'm this thing because I'm probably not very good at that thing, and it's not the only thing I do. You know, so in my mind, I mean, I totally agree with you. I, I, alternative is a good example of a word being too broad、yep. <laughs> to where it's useless. You know, I I, th- I like what、uh, Adam Savage said during Maker Fair. He said a maker is anybody that creates something that didn't exist before, and he he brought into that category dancers and cooks and and bakers、mm. and you know writers and. Yeah, so I thought that was a pretty cool analogy. There's you know, somebody that uses their mind to create something that otherwise didn't exist.、So、I'll、nice. stick with that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I like that. Good one. All right, what else we got?、Um, Stephen Lancaster asks tips on tool maintenance that you do as a pro that most hobbyists skip. And、mm. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna flip that around real quick because I think a lot of hobbyists. Uh, work on do too much tool maintenance, maybe to you know try to get their tools set up perfect. And I think a good example of that is I see a lot of articles in woodworking magazines and maker magazines、uh, on bandsaw setup where you're using like the dollar bill trick and the the finger whiteness of your finger for tension on the blades. And <laughs> I avoid all of that. All I do is I throw on a blade. I don't do any of that. <laughs> I don't do any of that, and I throw on the blade, and my and it's good to go. Yeah, I have the same tension for the three sixteenths inch blade as I do for the the half inch blade that I use, and to me, it's just if you throw on a sharp blade with that has enough、um, space between the teeth to remove the waste, you're good to go. So you did set it up initially, though.、Mm, I mean, I mean, I, I'm moving the the bearings around so they're not rubbing against the teeth. But I don't care about tension. Tension's way overrated when it comes to the bandsaw. Way, it's like、mm. the most important thing is the sharp blade with a low amount of teeth, or,、yeah. or the the appropriate blade for the for the job. Right. <clears throat> I would say the 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 one thing I notice with a lot of amateurs is that they're they're afraid to change blades quickly. Like somebody wrote to me the other day and、um, said. I broke my friend's saw blade. Well, where can I get another one? I said, "Why doesn't your friend have ten saw blades sitting in the shop? You have one bandsaw with one saw blade." Like I got nervous. I'm I'm working all day yesterday and and this morning on my saw stop. I only have one break and the break that's in the saw. So if my break goes, I'm like stuck until like so tonight. I got to FedEx up a couple of breaks from Amazon. 
But my saw stop, and I always like to have a bunch of whatever it is sitting by. If it's a saw blade for the table saw, have three sitting by. If it's a saw blade for the bandsaw, have five of them. Open up your sawzall case, have a selection of different sawzall, sawzall blades. Um, you know, like I said, I notice you go to some, or when you go to like a maker space or like a shared shop, it's no one's job to maintenance the table saw. So you go to cut a piece of wood and it immediately starts burning because the saw blade may as well be on backwards because it's totally not cutting. So that's, that's a, a big problem is just keeping sharp blades on the tools. And, but I, I do agree with you. Some people over maintenance stuff. A friend of mine once he, he's hanging out with me, uh, uh, a friend of mine, and he's asking me so many things about the band. So I said, why don't you just stop making stuff and stop reading things that just make things and stop reading the internet. Like, <laughs> okay. Okay. You're right. Like, what about this and this and that? It's like, just make something. It doesn't matter. You'll figure it out. You know, if it's going to be comfortable for you and the way you set it up, that's it. Just make sure your guide blocks aren't rubbing your teeth and then you're fine. That's it. Yeah, I mean, I can say, I can comfortably say that I'm a a noob with the bandsaw. I mean, I've used it some, but I'm still fairly uncomfortable with it and I still feel like I don't have it set up correctly. And I don't know if that's because it's not set up correctly or because I just am not comfortable with it, but... <clears throat> Um, so, I mean, I can kind of identify with people who just want to make sure that they, you know, maybe overthink it and maybe overthink the fact that there's, there's something they haven't done yet to get it right or to get it safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, yeah. oh, in the category of like maintenance in the shop, oil stuff. One, pe- one, one thing a lot of people don't realize is that you need a lot of oil on moving parts regardless. So make sure you oil stuff like that button, oil that on off button. So... <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you oil stuff. Uh, you know, I used to work out at this gym, which I don't go to anymore. And I would always drop in the suggestion box as I leave, oil your machines. You know, you lift weights and the, you know, the thing stays up in the air when you let go of the, the lever. And then the stack like slowly slams back down. Like oil is so important for just general maintenance of stuff. Cool. Yeah. Generally, I mean, other than that for maintenance, I really don't have anything because I don't really do any maintenance on any of my tools. Uh-oh. Are you a maker? <laughs> I guess. I don't know. All right, what else we got? Is there a profession other than being a maker you would like to try? This is from Tyler Mack. Hmm. I would like to be a magician. Really? Mm-hmm. But I'm too lazy to did practice. You? I used to know a lot of tricks. Yeah. Did you? Yeah, I really did. I hung out with a couple of guys that are magicians. Is this like as a child or as an adult? As an adult. I like the whole idea of being like on stage and tricking yeah. people but i don't i don't really have the confidence to do it but i always looked at it as like something that would be a, a sexy thing to do not kind of the annoying guy at a party that like annoys everybody but like a guy <laughs> like an illusionist that kind of thing yeah but i'll never do that it would be interesting for you to make a project around that idea that's a good idea i need a good for magician just, though to perform it i mean <gasps> no it's no i think you could I think, yeah, I think you, that would give you a chance to do it. And you don't even have to, I mean, you could do it in your style of like, you know, not talking and, and your thing. Just show the, the illusion and then back off and show how you made I it. I can cut Taylor in half. There you go. I mean, really cut her in half. Oh, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a good thought. It's funny. Cutting her in half? <laughs> no, no, be doing, the, doing like an illusion for, for a video. It's something that never even occurred to me. Real time, folks. Right here, real time. Taylor, yeah. seek help immediately. I'll, I'll send you. <laughs> I'll send you an invoice for that idea. <laughs> well, I was gonna say I'm doing exactly what I want to do right now, and there's there's nothing else. But you you 
talking about being a magician made me think I've always wanted to do stand up comedy. And ah. I've been taking notes for years and years, and I just have this notepad of all these jokes. And a few years ago, I was getting ready to do open mic, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to go to open mic, watch a couple to see how it is, because I just assume like these local comedians, it'd be awful, and it would build my confidence, and then I could get up there. We went to open mic, and these local comedians just blew us away. And they were so good <clears throat> that I was like, you know what, I'm not ready for this just yet. And it is a major, major fear of mine to do stand-up comedy, but it's something that I want to do. Um, a while back, I even st- uh, signed up for stand-up comedy classes, uh, and then I had to withdraw due to um, scheduling. But um, I, I, it's something I, I want to do. Not that for scheduling living. sounds like a safety net. That scheduling. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. I yeah, have yeah. to you're, say. You're, you're totally right. You're totally right. Yeah. But other than that, I'm doing exactly what I want to do right now. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we want to see a stand-up comedy video from you, David. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Make mm. a mic stand and then do stand-up. There you go. <laughs> um, I think for me, I don't know, like I, most of the things that I would ever consider doing kind of fall connected to being a maker. You know, like I guess the first thing I think of is I would like to have a farm and <clears throat> actually like live off of, of the animals and the plants and everything that I grow at the farm. Like, it'd be really awesome to be able to, you know, maybe not 100% live off of it, but, you know, to run an actual farm. But in my mind, that's like, there's tons of, you know, building and machine maintenance that goes with that. There's, like, the care of the animals and all this stuff. And that feels so maker-like to me that it's, like, basically the same thing. Um, So, yeah, pass that. Oh, Jimmy's doing a magic (laughs) trick for the camera. You guys can't see that and shouldn't see that. So, <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, that was just yeah, a, a trick know. someone taught me with a fork. You put a fork behind the napkin, and then you make it seems like something's running away inside the napkin. Yeah, so. <laughs> it, I swear to God, it was a fork. <laughs> so yeah, I don't I don't know that I have anything that would like really stand out as like not you know somehow connected to maker stuff. Not that I can think of anyway. Farmer, well, you got to buy a farm now. Yeah, I I would love to buy a farmer. Honestly, I mean, we've it's so we've cheap. Honestly, I mean, my house was under two hundred thousand dollars when I bought it. Well, long time ago. Yeah, there's a lot connected to that, though. You know, like how close you need to be to stuff, and yeah. But so, a related question from Brett Yerks. Uh, this is to all three of us. What held you back from your dreams, and what do you dream of now? So, I think we just talked about what we dream of now. But what held us back from getting to where we are? Why didn't we get there sooner? Um, Honestly, finances. There's so many things I wanted to do and, you know, just not having the money at the time. People always say, why didn't you buy a building in New York? Because this price of the down payment always eluded me. I could never come up with hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy a building. And so now I want to buy a building in the country and I'm having a similar problem, but I'm trying right now. And uh, But as far as fear goes... I'm, I'm going to be 50 in, in April next year. And I just had this argument with a couple of people about, I showed this building that I want to purchase in upstate New York and everyone right away, they're like, what if, and what about, and what and I just said, you know what? I said to Taylor, I'm not telling anybody else about this except for every hundreds of thousands of people that are listening. But as far as in my personal life, I, I'm not going to talk, share about this with anybody because I, it's so 
annoying to share something with somebody say, Hey, look, this is my dream. And then go, yeah, but what if you can't afford it? And what if this happens? And what I say, you know what? I'm not scared mm. of any of that. So yeah. why should you be? I don't care. Yeah. I can go totally broke, totally broke again for like the fifth time in my life. And I don't care. Cause at the end of the day, you know, God forbid there's a fire and everything goes away. The only thing you have left is your health. Then you're okay. So yeah. it, it sounds, it's like so easy for me to say now that I'm like past the, you know, the bump or whatever, you know, and then I'm like, you know, my friend likes to say, you know, we're at the part of our life now where the, the roller coaster has stopped clicking and that clicking sound has gone away. So hmm. it's like, what does it matter now? People are like, are you going to get married? Are you going to kids? I'm like, I'm 50 years old. I'll do all those things. It doesn't matter to me. You know, it's not like <laughs> a, I'm not, I don't have any of that fear anymore. Yeah. Um, but well, how do you get uh, you rid know, of that you, fear when you're younger? Uh, you just do the same thing. You go broke a few times and then you just, you know, it's like you take a good kick, swift kick, and then you like realize, okay, I'm still here. It's, yeah, I got my I health, mean, I, say- I got my health and, and my eyes, my hands and my feet. And, you know, obviously people could still live without all those things, but you know, if you're healthy and you could stand up and you could do things, you just start over again. Yeah. I think it's about perspective, which is exactly what you just said in a different way. But as a young person, you know, <clears throat> Your perspective is often, I need these things to be happy, or I need to have this particular type of life. One thing my wife and I noticed when we were newly married, we were, I think maybe when we were looking for our first house, we were looking for a very specific picture of what our life would look like in a particular type of house and all this stuff. And we kind of went down a path and then realized that we were trying to live the life that our parents have or had at that very moment. Our parents, who are 30 years older than us and have 30 more years of life ahead of us, we were trying to recreate where they are in life at that very moment, which, you know, as a young person, you often do. You're like, you know, as a kid, you're always like, you want to be 16 and then you want to be 21 and then you want to be whatever. So you're always looking to try to be older than you are. And, you know, as a like post-college age person, you want to have a career, you want to have a home, you want to have a family, whatever it is that you want. And so you're looking further out and you prioritize that getting those things as, you know, what you need. And Jimmy's totally right. You don't actually need those things. You want those things and there's nothing wrong with those things, but being young and setting your priorities in line with what's actually important and what's actually going to keep you alive and what's actually going to help you get to where your parents are or whatever. Um, you know, that's, that's really about you deciding the priorities that you want to have at any point in your life, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, my, my brother Joey always says, what are they going to do, take away my birthday? I remember as a kid, my brother used to always use his charge cards. And then he got to a point where he, he was about to go bankrupt. And uh, he said uh, that people were calling him and he would talk to the collection agents and he would, he would have a laugh at them and be like, hey, look, you know, you want to threaten me, I'll just go bankrupt. But if you want to work with me, I'll work with you. And he worked his way out of debt. He never had to go bankrupt. But the funny thing was, is when he would speak to these collection agents, he's like, what are you trying to do, scare me? Mm-hmm. You scare me, I'll just go bankrupt, you won't get zero. So if you want to work with me, let's negotiate. And so, I mean, I learned that early on from him, but, you know, he's an ex-Marine and a real tough dude. So um, I learned a lot from from him in that in that perspective. It's like, you know, you can live a life of fear and never get anywhere, or you could take chances and, you know, do this and do that. And I, I remember as a kid, uh, I was going to buy this fancy car. It was going to be the very first car I ever bought. It was going to be a, a Cutlass 442 convertible. 1970 something. And the guy only wanted $1,500. And, and I called my dad. I said, Hey dad, the guy wants to sell this car. And I think I'm going to do it. It's all the money I had in the bank at the time. I was about 17. 
And he goes, well, did you get it checked out? How do you know the floor's good? How do you know the roof? And he said all these things. And I just got off the phone and I just called the guy and I was like, I don't want it. And I remember that moment in time being like, you know what? Don't ever share anything with anybody that could be slightly negative because they're just going to kick your dreams into the dirt. And you're going to say, I wish I didn't say anything to that person. So, I mean, I don't know how that became the point of uh, that question, but, you know, I've said that now a couple of times, but I just learned to just keep my mouth shut a lot of the times. I mean, I think we can, you know, like it, it, YouTube immediately comes to mind when you said that, because as a creator, as a, and this isn't YouTube specific, but it's my example because that's my life. As you create a thing and you put it out there in front of people, you are going to have people who go, that's stupid. Why did you do that? Mm -hmm. What a waste of my time. I want those three minutes of my life back. That type of stuff. That doesn't help. That's not useful, but that also shouldn't stop you from creating stuff, right? Um, And I mean, just like you're saying, if you have a dream and you have a thing that you want to learn how to do or a life that you want to chase, I wouldn't be afraid to tell people because of the negative that might come in from it, but value that negativity for what it is. Mm -hmm. Realize that it there are going to be those people who are going to say, that's a dumb idea. Mm-hmm. That doesn't really mean it's a dumb idea. That means they think it's a dumb idea. And those are not the same. Thing. And, and, and their dumb idea is, it's not the dumb idea. They're just putting their fear in front of you. They're saying, oh yeah. my God, if I had yeah. the choice to make, I would, I would rather go home and lay in bed. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I, oh my God, what if I get into too much debt? What if I can't pay the rent? What if I can't? They're not going to take away your birthday. <laughs> Go ahead, Dave. Uh, it's funny we we just had this this w- conversation. So my wife and I are, are setting up a, a new band, and so we have uh, we haven't put too much effort into into it yet. But we have this like crazy idea for this thing that's part of the band. And my buddy was over, and we told him about it, and he was just like, "Oh, but but you know what if?" Uh, and and then he left, and we were like, "We shouldn't have even told him." Because he just, because he, he just, he just pooped all over it, and it was, you know, yeah. and uh, we're like, we're doing it anyway. We're gonna prove him wrong, and and uh, we're gonna do this this wacky, crazy thing, which maybe it is crazy and wacky. Maybe it won't work, but it's it'll be fun to try. Yeah, but if it doesn't work, big deal, big right? Deal. I mean, yeah. you tried it, and you learned that it worked or it didn't mm-hmm. work. I mean, I mean, as far as like the actual question here, <clears throat> the thing that held me back from doing I like to make stuff for a while was just the fear uh, of financial stuff and the responsibility that I have for my family and providing and, you know, my wife doesn't work. And so it's, it's on me to make sure that we have enough money to live. And that's a totally valid fear. That is. But at the same time, you know, she, and I was looking at it in, in exactly what you're saying, Jimmy, I was looking at it. Well, what if I don't have enough money to pay the bills? What if it works out that I, don't have enough money to continue to pay our mortgage, you know, or whatever. And my wife was like, well, then you get another job. <laughs> it's not Just that big of a money. deal. I'm like, able body. Oh yeah. But then she also said, you know, um, we'll change if, if for a while we can change the way we live. We can eat out less. We can spend less money on the things that are not necessary. You know, we can, you know, we can change, uh, what we consume and how we consume it and what we think we need to align with what we have available, which is a great way to live in general. <laughs> right. You know, but like, um, it, it was super encouraging to have her say those things to me and, and like shoot down that fear that I had about provision and about, you know, preparation for the future and stuff like that. And it's worked out. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Anyway, uh, you guys got anything else on that? Uh, no, that's it. Just don't be afraid and don't share your ideas yeah. with negative people. <laughs> yes. Well said. Um, here's one from our buddy uh, Bill Lavosi. Um, I know he he thinks he missed this week, but he's actually going to make it into this show. So there you go, Bill. Um, hurdles, frustrations, disappointments. How do you get past them? Yeah. Don't think about them. Just keep moving along. Keep? Do you mean keep like pounding at the same thing, or move on to something else? Um, I mean, it really depends on the situation. So you run into an issue where something uh, doesn't go your way during a build, and you you problem solve. And don't let it stop you from doing it. You learn from it and just just move on. You know, there's a there's a series of of people that flash in my brain whenever I feel like, oh God, I'm at a dead end. I don't know what to do. Is this the right decision? What am I doing? Why am I doing all this? And then I think of these quick little Henry Ford. How many times he tried to make the car, and and uh, Thomas Edison. How many times he tried to do what he did that was successful. Now those guys are very dynamic characters, you know, different topic, but the idea of the Wright brothers and how many people, how many people, those are just famous people, but how many people we all know personally that have overcome obstacles. So these people flash before my eyes, you know, you think of the people that, you know, have been to war and back and, you know, what they've overcome and that, you know, successful people in that way. So the idea of knowing that people have been here before and have, have mm. been able to get through it. That, that always helps me. Hmm. You know, even on like, like I said, if I'm just comparing my stupid little problems to some grander thing, it's like, well, you know what? That's something to strive for. So that's what helps me. Yeah. Uh, and and, in, and in, a, in a less dramatic way, I always think to myself on a less dramatic topic, I should say, when I have trouble thinking about how I'm going to make something, and I've said this before, I compare myself, well, I compare what the Egyptians did. I'm like, if the Egyptians are able to do this or do that, you know, without any technology, I should be able to aliens. do this with, you know, I, I just summon my aliens and I say, guys, can you help me make this YouTube video? I don't have too much time left. So they give me an extra day. I get in my phone booth time machine and I go back a day. Oh, man, I need to meet your aliens. <laughs> no. So the point is, is you just compare your situation to somebody that's been able to overcome a similar thing. And, and it, it helps. Helps to compare. You're not, you know, you're not alone. You're not the only person that had too many things to do or broke a saw blade or, you know, stuck a chisel in his palm or, you know, there's a lot of things. Everyone's done it. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, it can definitely be good to step away from something if it's like this at the beginning of this episode, I was talking about the long-term project I've been working on. The reason that's a long-term project is because I keep running into walls. Every few months I sit down, I'm like, I'm going to finish this thing. And I hit face plant into a wall. And, you know, I work on it for a couple of days and then I back off and I do other stuff and let it kind of fester in my mind and try to, you know, that kind of backseat figuring out stuff happens and then I go back to it. Um, but I think, you know, in a case like that, if I continue to pound on it over and over and I'm not getting anywhere, then that's just going to build frustration, but it's not building any kind of pro- progress. So I can kind of recognize when I'm frustrated enough that like, you know, I'm not going to be useful here. I need to back off and go do something else, and then I'll I'll be useful again later. So, you know, just finding that balance. That's probably different for everybody and maybe different for every project. But mm-hmm. um, you guys want to do one more? Sure. You got another good one? Uh, let me see. Another quick question is um, uh, form versus function. Which one is harder or more important? 
form versus function or function versus form. Form follows function in many cases when you like, you know, a good example is a screwdriver shaped a certain way because it has to do a certain object, has to do a certain task, I should say. And uh, laptops are shaped a certain way because they have to do a certain task and they're shaped away because we all have two hands mostly and mostly have 10 fingers. And, uh, you know, so form follows the function of the object is. And I think functionality is most important. Mm-hmm. You know, think of like when you, uh, you get, you get two out outside of that circle and you end up like in like really high fashion or high fashion furniture where it's like bordering on art, abstract art. And you look at it and you're like, hmm, that's not a comfortable chair. That's where function is secondary to form. But if somebody famous made it, then it's expensive and people need it. But, you know, these type of things, you have to make these decisions for yourself as you go. But I definitely believe that form follows the functionality of whatever that object is. Yeah, I would agree with that. They work hand in hand, though. I mean, because the form is going to sell you that object. True. Because it needs, I mean, it needs to... It needs to speak to you, but then... That's true. The nuance, yeah. the color. Yeah, there's tons of nuances. I mean, there's millions of decisions that go into both of those. But as far as a form, like you said, you know, styling, you could look at, so you can walk through an antique shop or walk through just the thrift shop and you see something from 1970s and you go, why is that stuck in 1970s? It does exactly the same thing it does now in the year 2016, but something about the shape of that and the colors and the, the way the corners are shaped is so 1970s and you can't see that while you're in it. You have to like get out of it 20 years later and look back and say, why did all these decisions equal 1970s or -hmm. whatever that era was, you know, Mm -hmm. it's so hard to look back and it's so hard to look at it while you're in it and try and make those decisions. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you approach the question from a, a designer standpoint and you're making a chair, okay, there's, you don't, and if you want to stand out, you don't want to just make the chair that has this angle and and this back and it's curved this way, because it's been done a million times. You want to make your piece that that uh, has your vision in it. And so, if you're a designer, maybe you know form is a little bit more important because that's that's that that's that idea that you have that you're, you're trying to get out and so there's it's always going to be a balance it depends on how you approach it it depends on what you're making it depends on who you're making it for mm-hmm. yeah i think like yeah totally i think each piece whatever the thing is that you're making is going to dictate where you start form or function and each one's going to have a different reason to start in one of those places but i think what makes um <clears throat> products really really good or really stand out is when you have a ping pong back and forth between those two things. The reason the iPhone is a beautiful piece of technology is not because it started out as a purely technical wonder. It's because they took that and then they wrapped it in a really pretty case and they figured out the ergonomics of the case. Yeah. And once and the they did that, then they, went, then they went back and they made the tech better. Yeah. And then they went back and made the outside better. And they keep going back and forth between form and function um, I mean, they're doing all those at the same time now, but you know what I mean? They're, they're continually using one to force the other to be better. And, you know, if you're making furniture, you go back to the chair thing, you know, you're not going to say like, I'm going to design a chair one time and it's going to be this balance of form, this balance of function. And that's going to be it. If you do that, that chair is not going to be the one that like 
probably is going to be the best chair in the world. It may be cool in its own way, but if you want it to be the best chair in the world, then you're going to modify it and you're going to continue to, you know, you get it looking like you want and then you try to make it a little more comfortable. And then once you get it comfortable, then you make it look a little more like you want. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, So I think there's the best stuff is thing. There are things that have been through that process of ping pong back and forth between those. Mm. Now I, I would assume that probably in what most of us do, there's not a lot of opportunity to have a lot of back and forth, a lot of iteration. I mean, to a degree, but you know, like we're not going to continue to work <laughs> on the same piece for months and months at a time. Um, <laughs> but that's why, you know, people who are furniture designers, that's why they come up with beautiful stuff because they work on it and they iterate on it and they make it better. And, you know, <clears throat> but for me personally, I'm much more of a, I think I'm better at function. And so I gravitate there and I start there. Um, I think I have more trouble with coming up with unique form, but I just sent you a picture of the best chair in the world. <laughs> the best chair in the world. Can you see it? Sweet. Not yet. Coming through. <laughs> huh. Oh, it was like the fifth hit down. <laughs> we'll, we'll put a picture of the best chair in the world in the uh, show notes. It looks comfy. What are you guys watching? Anything new? Anything cool? I have to say, I have not found anything that like really any new channels or any new videos that have really grabbed me lately. So I have a podcast. Uh, Dial pressed it, uh, introduced this this podcast to me today. He's like, "You should check this out," and it only has three episodes, and it's called Sample Size One, and it's so cool. Hmm. The very first episode, everybody should check this out. It, he calls it the Fiverr Song Project, and so he he wrote and recorded a song. And uh, which sounds pretty good, and it's his style of music. And what he did was he then farmed that song out to. If you're not familiar with the website Fiverr, it's like people do things for five bucks. And so he had somebody recreate the drums for five bucks. He had somebody redo the guitar for five bucks, redo the bass, then he found somebody to do the vocals. And so then he had this this comparison of his recording to the recording that he made on Fiverr. And the two songs sound completely different. It was just kind of like it was such a cool comparison. And he's a great host. Um the the tagline for the podcast is a sample podcast about unrepeatable experiments in music and art. And it's so cool. Unfortunately, there's only three episodes, and I listened to all three today, and I can't wait for the next one. Um, well, I've I've talked uh, about him before, I think. But lately, in the last week, I watched a couple of his videos, and he's just an incredible craftsman. Um, can you guys figure out how to pronounce this name? You see the, the, the text I just... Nope. <laughs> nope. Nope. He's the he's the Irish sword maker. I think he's Irish. He lives in Nantucket, Long Island. I mean Nantucket, near Massachusetts. And uh he makes giant swords. And he's an incredible metal worker with just limited tools. That's the one thing that struck me the most about watching him as of late is that he just has typical grinders, nothing fancy. I don't even think he has a Beaumont grinder. He just has typical quarter inch angle grinders and he does such a fancy job, amazing job. <laughs> I'm laughing at, at Bob's making a funny face. Um, he does amazing work. So take a look at him. I mean, he might inspire you. And he, you know, everything he does is handmade. And he wears like a crazy kilt. And he has this crazy breathing apparatus, which I can't really figure out. Is that so he could breathe behind his head? Have either of you guys seen that? 
I have not seen no, He wears this cup, like he wears a pinch on his nose. He pinches his nose so he doesn't accidentally breathe through his nose. And he has this cup that he sticks in his mouth. And it has two breathing tubes, I think, that breathe from behind. So he's not sucking in the dust that comes up in front of him. I can't quite figure hmm. out what's going on. I mean, I'm sure there's a video somewhere in the mix of him explaining that. But uh, he's just a real unique character. And you can tell he's very genuine in, in his delivery and his, his way. So take a look at him. Cool. Awesome. You, I think you've mentioned him before because his name looks familiar, but I still don't know how to say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so he's just, he's got, he's just, he's a good guy. Just why his, his channel's growing and you should support him because he's a good member of the community. Awesome. Um, so I have a single video and then, well, I mean, I, I don't know. Um, have we seen Press Tube? Have you seen this before? It, I, they have a hydraulic press. And I've seen it. Yeah, it's oh, yeah, 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 it's yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. So I have not seen many of them, but the one the other day was a can of Silly String mm-hmm. that they compressed with the hydraulic press, and it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so I like that one. Um, but I think as far as like a full channel, uh, the Backyard Scientist is one I've started watching recently. And I've heard of him for a long time, but I just never watched him for some reason. But he's just a, a guy, young guy, I think he's in Florida. And he does a lot of like slow-mo uh, shooting things in his backyard. Oh, I think or I've, pouring, I've seen these guys. Yeah, pouring molten aluminum into different things to see how it reacts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it's just a lot of fun things. The one I watched recently was um, How Strong is Ublek? And Ublek is like when you put water and cornstarch together. Oh, yeah. Oh, didn't he shoot it? He shot it with a shotgun or something, right? Yeah, he shot it with uh, a few different things. Yeah, that's pretty cool. To see, you know, because based on force, it changes from a liquid to a solid. And so it has some really interesting, interesting results from shooting it mm-hmm. with different amounts of force. So, yep. um, yeah, go check out him. And uh, I just want to say uh, I've been finding some more people finding my Patreon. So I want to thank everybody for that. And there's a couple of videos I just put up. a. If anybody saw it, it's, I didn't really explain it. And I noticed, uh, Dave, you, you commented on it. So thank you for watching a video of me and Taylor. The oh, producer yeah. wanted to see a producer wanted to see something on me and Taylor. I don't put much faith in anything a producer wants, but uh, it was a good opportunity to make a video of me and Taylor. I, I didn't put it on my channel just because I'm going to get a lot of, you didn't make anything in this video comments. So it's just a video of a kind of a lifestyle video of Taylor and I, and that's on my Patreon page. And, and thank you to everybody that's joining. For some reason, I'm getting a little resurgence in that. So thank you. Nice. Speaking of Patreon, hmm. um, I want to thank our Patreon supporters for this show. Hmm. Especially, all of them, but especially Jeremy White, Luis Gonzalez, John, John Cornwell, Dominic DeFino, and Make, Build, Modify. And uh, we are really grateful for all the support. Thank you, guys. From, Thank you. From those guys. And uh, if you want to support the show, there's a bunch of different ways you can do it. We tend to forget to say that you can just share the show. In fact, this would be interesting. Mm-hmm. How about everybody that listens to this episode tell three people that you know about this podcast. People that don't already know about the podcast. Tell three people. Let's see what happens. So we should have three times really as many listeners next week. Theoretically. <laughs> if everybody does their job. <laughs> you have a job. It'd be cool to see if it could spread, like, you know, like by telling just a couple of people that you don't know. Tell them about it. That'd be cool. Um, but yeah, telling people about the show, leaving us a review and a rating on iTunes is awesome. You know, tweeting out the show or posting on Facebook or... Buying a shirt and wearing wherever it you use. Yeah, we have shirts. Yep, you can do that. I listen to um, uh, Barry Katz. I talked about him a couple of times, and he always says, he's a podcaster. He talks about show business, and he says, if you like the show, 
tell a friend. And if you don't like the show, tell a friend. <laughs> That's what he always says at the end of every episode. Nice. Yeah. So you can do any of those things. You could also help us out on Patreon if you'd like to do that. Uh, it's patreon.com, which is P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash making it. So, yeah, that's probably it for this week, unless you guys got anything else. Nope. Nope. Cool. Thanks for the questions, everybody. Thanks. Thank you very much. That was fun. We'll love do you. Do it again. Love you. Love you. <laughs> What's that, Jimmy? Oh, uh, I love you. I was just whispering it. Sorry. Oh, yeah. That awkward moment when you don't know what to say for the very first time. Say what? I love you.